Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're starting Stephanie Meyer's shitty book, New Moon. <laughs> it's the sequel to Twilight, guys. <laughs> we're back, 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 back again. <laughs> okay. Ooh. Like, I largely forget the plot of New Moon. Read it twice. Seen the movie. All I know is Bella's depressed and it's terrible. <laughs> so let's get into it. So we start with a little, uh, a quote from Romeo and Juliet. And it says, these violent delights have violent ends and in their triumph die like fire and powder, which as they kiss consume. And that's from Romeo and Juliet, act two, scene six. And it's also from Westworld. <laughs> these violent delights have violent ends. I mean, I hate how she's like pretending that this is literature. She's like, oh, if I just quote Romeo and Juliet from the top, People will think my book has themes and characters when it really doesn't. Like, remember what, like, she pretended that Twilight was based off of Pride and Prejudice? Honey, it wasn't. And we also have a preface. And just like last time, it feels like she's running to a death. I mean, she's always running to a death, isn't she? She says, I felt like I was trapped in one of those terrifying nightmares. The one where you have to run, run till your legs burst but you can't make your body move fast enough. One of those terrifying nightmares, the one. Specifically, she's just talking about the one nightmare. Uh, And she's saying she's running towards the crowd. That's huge. It's a callous crowd. And there's a clock tower. (laughs) And she's running in slow-mo, but but the time on the clock's still ticking. And she says, but this is no dream. And unlike the nightmare, again, the nightmare, the singular nightmare that everybody has, She's not running for her life. She's racing to save something more precious. This is exactly the same preface as last time when she's like, oh, it's a beautiful thing to die in the place of someone you love. She says, Alice had said there was a good chance that we would both die here. Perhaps the outcome would be different if she weren't trapped by the brilliant sunlight. (laughs) Ah, the vampire's folly. Brilliant sunlight. It won't kill you, but you'll glimmer. So she's just setting up the climax of the book super early. Like, what's the point? She's spoiling herself. I guess the preface is just like, hey, things are going to get boring and depressing, but just stick with me and I swear there'll be a chase scene in Italy. Just, just stick with it. And the preface ends with a saying, the clock tolled again and the sun beat down from the exact center point of the sky. Oh, I'm in such suspense. It's a sunny day. However, will they get out of this one? And then we go to chapter one and it's titled Party. 
And so now we start the chapter with her uh, also dreaming, but it's a different dream. She says she's 99.9% sure she's dreaming because it's sunny and she lives in Forks where it isn't sunny. And also she's staring at her grandma, Marie. And Gran had been dead for six years now. So that was solid evidence towards the dream theory. The dream theory. Like, is everyone else just having dreams and then debating to themselves? Now, is this a dream? I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm 99.9% sure because Gran's been dead for a few years. So, yep, I theorise that we're dreaming here. But she said Gran hasn't changed. Hmm. Even though she's been dead for six years, she's not changed. She still looks like a dried apricot, but with a puff of thick white hair standing out. (laughs) She just said her grandma looks like a dried apricot. That's savage. So she's staring at a grin and she's smiling and a grin's smiling back. And then she opens her mouth to talk just as she opens her mouth to talk. So she stops to let her go first. And then she stops as well. Then they both smile at the awkwardness. And already I hate Grandma Marie. She's a fucking punish. And so then Edward calls out her name and they both turn towards the voice. And even though she was almost positive that she was dreaming, she still panicked because he was walking into the sunshine. He's not going to get hurt by the sunshine, Bella. It's okay. Even if you weren't 99.99% sure that you were dreaming, nothing bad would have happened except your grandma would have been like, oh, that's bright. And she looks panicked at Gran and Gran's staring back at her, looking just as alarmed. And if you haven't figured it out yet, she's looking in a mirror. That's not a Gran. That's her when she's 80 years old. And I mean, it's pretty fucking obvious. The way they each have the same reaction at every different point in time. They're both turning, they're both looking, they're both alarmed. She's really laying it on thick. And then Bella sort of notices the bigger picture and she notices a big frame (laughs) around her grandmother. (laughs) Like there's your hint, this giant mirror frame. And so then she does the thing where she reaches towards her and then her grandmother reaches towards her as well. Yeah, because it's a mirror. She says she mimicked the movement exactly, mirrored it. But where our fingers should have met, there was nothing but cold glass, dot, dot, dot. (gasps) With a dizzying jolt, my dream abruptly became a nightmare. There was no gran. That was me, me in the mirror. And then Edward kisses her and says happy birthday. And then she wakes up with a start. So she's still a teenager, but she's really worried about getting old. And I was like, bitch, try turning 30. That'll really mess with your head. I'm 30 now and I can't drink in the day without being hung over for the rest of that day and the next day. I can't have any Kalamata olives without getting indigestion. And now I'm discovering if like I turn my body too quick, I pull like a muscle and then I'm, I'm sore for a week. So try turning 30, Bella, not fucking 17. Then you'll know what real pain's like. And she looks at her alarm clock and the little calendar in the corner of the clock's display informed me that today was September 13th. It was only a dream, but it is my birthday. I was officially 18 years old. She's got to look at the little calendar in her clock radio to know that it's her birthday. And she describes how she's been dreading this day for months. For months. All summer holiday, this bleak date had lurked in ambush, waiting to spring. And she could feel it. She was older. Every day she got older, but today was different because it was quantifiable. She's 18. Then she goes to brush her teeth and she's almost surprised that the face in the mirror hadn't changed. (laughs) She says she spent time looking in the mirror for signs of wrinkles. How dramatic. So then she runs out of the house without eating breakfast. She just keeps trying to feel something other than despair. (laughs) 
But she can't. She's just despairing about her birthday because she's finally older than Edward. Big fucking whoop, babe. It's a one year difference. And also he is a hundred years older than you. Like, okay, you're technically 18 and he's technically 17. Still a huge difference. And also people can date people who are different ages to them. Then she sees Edward in the parking lot and despair momentarily vanishes and wonder takes its place because she can't believe how good looking he is and how lucky she is to be dating him. Oh, lay off it. And she says his sister Alice was standing by his side. Of course, Edward and Alice weren't really related. And then she just fucking describes the whole Cullen family and just how everyone in Forks thinks they're adopted. And I was like, yep, yeah, we know. We've all read Twilight. None of us are reading New Moon not having read Twilight. And Alice, you'll remember, is a freaking weirdo. So she's got a present. And Bella's like, oh, I said no presents. And she's like, ha ha ha, okay, I'll give it to you later. And then she says, did you like the scrapbook your mum sent you and the camera from Charlie? And Bella sighs because she's like, oh, of course she would know what my birthday presents are. Edward wasn't the only member of his family with unusual skills. Alice would have seen what my parents were planning as soon as they decided it themselves. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, babe. I remember reading about when you guys were holed up in Phoenix and she didn't see shit. There's a lot of things she doesn't see coming. Hey, that whole baseball scene when she's like, oh, you know what? There's some random vampires out there, but they'll never catch us. They'll never notice us. Let's go play baseball. She didn't see that correctly, but she can, she can just get a premonition about Charlie buying her a camera and her mum giving her a scrapbook, which by the way, is a shitty present. Your daughter turns 18 and you send her a scrapbook of all the memories that you didn't make together since you don't live together anymore. What the fuck's that about? A scrapbook? At least give her some money in that scrapbook. Not even a bit of jewelry. Doesn't she make her own jewelry in Florida or some other shitty business that she's running? Some pyramid scheme that she's running down in Florida? Send her a bracelet. Send her a homemade necklace or a brooch. Nah, she got a scrapbook. A scrapbook. Like even the name, Scrap. Yeah, it's Scraps. I mean, Charlie with the camera, that's a good present. Happy for him. But are we really meant to expect that Alice is just wandering around, just chilling out, being a little weirdo. And then she's like, ah, a vision. And her hand goes up to her forehead and she's like, Charlie's at the shops. He's buying a camera. But no, we're just meant to trust her because she, she knows these things. She sees things. And yet we're going to end the chapter with a fucking cliffhanger, which she won't see coming by the way. And so Edward and Alice are pretty much like, Hey, cheer up, bitch. And Alice is like, what's the worst that could happen? And Bella's like, getting older. And Alice says, 18 isn't very old. Don't women usually wait till they're 29 to get upset over birthdays? (laughs) And Alice, you're damn right. But also not just women. (laughs) And she's like, it's older than Edward. And Alice is like, yeah, technically. And then Bella catches this up again on the conversation that ended the last book about how she wanted to be turned into a vampire. But Edward wasn't really happy with that. (sighs) Like we've read the fucking book. Move things along, Steph. So Alice is like, are you coming over this afternoon? And she's like, nah, I can't. She's like, but you will. Uh, And Bella's like, oh no, I have to work. And Alice is like, actually you don't. I spoke to Mrs. Newton and you don't have a shift. And she's like, well, I've got to watch Romeo and Juliet for school. And Alice is like, you have Romeo and Juliet memorized. And she's like, but I have to watch it perform to fully appreciate it. That's how Shakespeare intended it to be presented. Uh, And so she's watching a movie version of Romeo and Juliet. I don't think that's how Shakespeare intended it, but okay, go off, sis. 
And Alice is like, you've already seen the movie. And she's like, but not the 1960s version. That's the best one. And uh, just let her watch the fucking movie. So they agree that after school, she's going to go watch Romeo and Juliet. And then Edward's going to take her over to the Cullen's house around seven. Great. So they go to class and she narrates, no one bothered to stare at us as we took our usual seats in the back of the classroom. And then in brackets, she says, we had almost every class together now. It was amazing the favors Edward could get the female administrators to do for him. Now, excuse me, is she implying that the female teachers and administrators want to fuck the student? I think that's what she's implying. She's like, yeah, all the girls at reception want to bang Edward, so he just gets to do whatever he wants at this school. Excuse? And she says they're no longer the thing everyone at school gossips about because everyone's sort of accepted that they're a couple, even Mike Newton. And she feels this in that Mike's face has changed over the summer. He's lost some of the roundness and his cheekbones are more prominent and he's wearing his hair in a different way, as in more like Edward. So I guess Mike's handsome now. Good for Mike. He got the Neville Longbottom glow up. And she says all day long, she thinks about how to get out of this party tonight. She says it's bad enough to have to celebrate when I was in the mood to mourn. But worse than that, this was sure to involve attention. Attention is never a good thing, as any other accident prone klutz would agree. Oh, she's such a klutz. And then she talks about how she doesn't really have money. She never had money growing up, but Edward has lots of money. She says... It was just something that accumulated when you had unlimited time on your hands and a sister who had an uncanny ability to predict trends in the stock market. Now, she's established that Alice's abilities are based on when people make decisions. So are you to tell me that she's just tuned into the decisions of the people at the Wall Street Stock Exchange and she's just predicting shit that way? Like, I don't think that's how her powers work. I don't think so. So then she goes to lunch and she fills us in on who's sitting at the table these days. So her, Edward and Alice sit together because the other Cullens have fake graduated. And she also sits with Mike and Jessica who are in an awkward post breakup friendship phase, which is very important for us to know. And then Angela and Ben, whose relationship has survived the summer. So great for Angela and Ben. And then Eric Connor, Tyler and Lauren. And then she says, Though that last one didn't really count in the friend category. So she hates Lauren. I I have no memory of Lauren. Was Lauren a big thing in Twilight? I I don't know. But she hates Lauren and she's expecting us to remember that she hates Lauren. Hey, she'll fill us in on everything else. She'll be like, hey, hey, these are the Collins. They're vampires. Uh, This is how we met. This is what they look like. Just, you know, filling us all in. But with Lauren, she's like, just, you know, we all know that Lauren and her enemies. We don't need to recap that. So anyway, so they're all sitting at the same table. So it's a big table. Alice, Edward, Bella, Mike, Jessica, Angela, Ben, Eric, Connor, Tyler, and Lauren. (laughs) All on the one big table. Except for when it's a sunny day and Edward and Alice don't show up. (laughs) So school finishes, they drive back to her house. Before they get out of the car, he kisses her. And we hear a little description about how she's so breakable. And of course, he's got those marble cold lips. But then she kisses him back too hard. So he has to pull away so he doesn't kill her. And she's like, ah, yes, I almost forgot about his razor sharp venom coated teeth. (laughs) So then they start to watch the Romeo and Juliet movie. 
And Edward says that he never really had much patience with Romeo. And she's like, what's wrong with Romeo? And she's offended because Romeo was one of her favourite fictional characters. Who thinks Romeo is one of the best fictional characters? She says, until I'd met Edward, I'd sort of had a thing for him. (laughs) What? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. What? And Edward's like, uh, he killed Juliet's cousin a few minutes after the wedding. That's not very brilliant, which is a great point, Edward. So then they watch Romeo and Juliet and he's whispering Romeo's lines in her ear alongside the actor on the movie. And she thinks his irresistible velvet voice made the actor's voice sound weak and coarse by comparison. (laughs) Imagine if you were the actor from that 1960s version and like, your granddaughter was obsessed with Twilight and you're like, all right, I'll read the books, see what everyone's talking about. And you get to this page and you're like, what a bitch. So then spoiler alert, Romeo kills himself. And Edward's like, oh, I do sort of envy him here. The ease of that suicide. And she's like, what? And he's like, well, you know, I had to think about it once upon a time. And I knew killing myself wouldn't be that easy. And she's like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? (laughs) So he really has to spell it out for her. And he's like, hey, last spring when you were nearly killed, I was, you know, wondering about how I'd kill myself if you died. And then she has to fucking flash back to Phoenix. Fill us in on what happened there, as if we can't remember. Also, she published this book like a year after Twilight. It's not like George R.R. Martin, where he's like taken 10 years in between each book. And for that, we probably do need a reminder, to be quite frank, George. 
I would appreciate if he did some recapping in the first chapter of Winds of Winter, if it ever comes. But this was published like a year after Twilight. Like, we got it. But she tells us all about James and the ballet studio and uh, and the bite mark on her hand from where he bit her, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and her mother wasn't really there as a hostage. It was all a ruse, a clever, clever ruse. But this is all just set up so he can say, I was thinking maybe I would go to Italy and do something to provoke the Volturi. And she's like, hang on a minute, what's a Volturi? And he says, oh, the Volturi, they're a family, an old, very powerful family. They live in Italy. She's really going hard on the foreshadowing here. And he says, Carla lived with them briefly before he settled in America. Do you remember the story? And Bella winks at the reader and she says, of course I remember. So she's like, yep, I set this up last book, even though I didn't call them the Volturi then or indicate that they had larger story presence. I totally set this up. And then we get a whole paragraph of her describing the painting she saw in Carlisle's study. And she says, of course I remember seeing them. (laughs) The three beautiful vampires called Aro, Caius and Marcus, nighttime patrons of the arts. (laughs) Yeah, she just remembered that. Like, I'm pretty sure she saw that painting the same day as the baseball game when she had to tell Charlie she didn't want to live with him and she had to flee to Phoenix. So earlier that day, she saw a painting in a study and she remembers it vividly. And he's like, yeah, well, anyway, you don't irritate the Volturi unless you want to die. And she says, don't you dare think about that. Never again. You're not allowed to hurt yourself, blah, blah, blah. And he says, I'll never put you in danger again. So it's a moot point. And she's like, how dare you talk about that? It's not a moot point. And they keep saying moot point. And they're having a whole fight about suicide. Meanwhile, Romeo and Juliet in the background is just getting ignored. Juliet's about to stab herself. The actress is probably turning in a stirring performance and it's just getting ignored. So then Charlie comes home with a pizza box and he says, I thought you'd like a break from cooking and washing dishes for your birthday. Hungry? Um... Yeah, maybe she would like a break from washing dishes all the time. You can wash the dishes too, Charlie. It doesn't have to be on her birthday that she gets a break. And then Edward says, oh, Charlie, do you mind if I borrow Bella for the evening? And Charlie just goes, yeah, that sounds good. The Mariners are playing the Sox tonight. So, hey, happy, happy 18th, sweetie. I'm going to go watch this baseball game on TV. And then it says he scooped up the camera he'd gotten me on Renee's suggestion because I would need pictures to fill up my scrapbook and threw it out to me. Okay, Renee, she's like, hey, this will be a cute little combined present idea. I'll give her a scrapbook. You give her an expensive camera and I'll get the credit for the camera, even though I'm not purchasing it. And also she needs pictures to fill up her scrapbook. So Renee didn't even make a scrapbook for her. She gave her an empty scrapbook and said, fill it out yourself. Is that the implication here? I'm hoping beyond hope that Renee at least filled half of the book up and said, fill out the rest. Surely. Oh, Renee, that's the shittest present I've ever heard of. And then the chapter just continues. She tells us that Charlie loves Alice because last spring, Alice helped Bella shower. So Charlie didn't have to see Bella naked. Okay, great. And then Charlie says, okay, you kids have fun. And it was clearly a dismissal. Charlie was already edging toward the living room and the TV. Charlie, it's your daughter's 18th birthday. Could you have at least got a cake? 
at least got a cupcake and shoved a candle in it. A little bit of effort. I know she'd be all like, oh, I don't want anyone to make a big deal. I hate attention because I'm such a klutz. But like, you kind of have to do it. But no, he's literally pushing her out the door and turning the TV on. So then they're in the car to the Cullens house and he says, Bella, the last real birthday any of us had was Emma in 1935. Cut us some slack and don't be too difficult tonight. They're all very excited. Hey, Cullens, what's stopping you from having a birthday? Have a death day party like they do with like the ghosts at Hogwarts do and commemorate the day you died or the day you turned into a vampire or the day you were born as a human. Like there's so many things you can celebrate. What's stopping you? You go to high school, you graduate. Why wouldn't you just have a birthday? I'm sure on the high school admission forms that you are made to fill out every time you go to a high school, they say, what's your birthday? So just fucking celebrate on that day. Uh, Who cares if you're not technically aging? Oh, they're so dumb. And he's like, well, you know, when I say excited, I mean all of them. And she's like, everyone, I thought Emmett and Rosalie were in Africa. And then she fills us in on Rosalie and how she's really beautiful, but doesn't like Bella very much. But she did miss Emmett, Edward's playful bear of a brother. So they were just in Africa on a little trip. They moved to Forks. Because it's not sunny. The whole thing about Forks is it's the wettest place in America. It'll be nice and overcast so they can live their lives. And Emmett and Rosalie go to Africa. Like, yes, I'm aware there's rains down in Africa. It would be overcast from time to time. But in my head, Africa's pretty sunny. But they went to Africa. Okay, great. They went to Africa. Who knows why? I hope we hear about it sometime soon. So then Bella thinks it's a good time to bring up the fact that she wants to get turned into a vampire. And Ed was just like, oh, not this again. So they get to the Cullens house and it's all decorated with pink candles and dozens of crystal bowls filled with hundreds of roses. And there's a white cloth draped over the piano with a pink birthday cake, more roses, a stack of glass plates and a small pile of silver wrapped presents. Um, okay, a couple of things. Very extravagant. Um, Bella's never really been that into pink. Does Bella strike anyone else as a pink type of gal? I don't think so. But I'm more worried about the stack of glass plates. Bella's the only one there eating that cake. Why is there a stack of plates? What point does that serve? Again, just get the poor bitch a cupcake with a candle in it. Like, that'll do. So then we're introduced to all the rest of the Cullens. (sighs) She says, oh, Rosalie's there. I'd forgotten how gloriously beautiful Rosalie was. And no, you didn't because you just said Rosalie's so beautiful and Emmett's a big bear. Like you just described her as being beautiful. But now that you're saying her, oh, I'd forgotten how gloriously beautiful she was. No, you haven't. And she says, and had Emmett always been so big? Yes, you described him as a big bear of a person. Three paragraphs earlier. And then we meet Jasper and he's standing apart because, you know, he's the young one. And she reminds us with another heavy dollop of foreshadowing that Jasper had more trouble sticking to the Cullens' diet than the rest of them. The scent of human blood was much harder for him to resist than the others. He hadn't been trying as long. So you all remember that, right, audience? So she opens an empty box and it's the box for a stereo. And they're like, haha, we're installing it right now in your truck. So she got a stereo. Fantastic. And then she goes to open up another package and she sticks her finger under the edge of the paper and jerked it under the tape. And she says, shoot, because the paper sliced her finger. 
and a single drop of blood oozed from the tiny cut. Only Bella could cut herself opening up a prucken present, but yep, she got a paper cut. And she's just like oblivious to the fact that that's going to be a big deal, even though she was just narrating about Jasper. It all happened very quick. So Edward's roaring, no, and he's throwing himself at her, flinging her across the table. So I assume she falls into the table, scattering the cake, the presents, the flowers, and the plates. And she lands in a mess of shattered crystal. See, this is why they should have just had one plate. And essentially what's happened is Jasper's lost his freaking mind. He's bloodthirsty. He's lunging towards Bella. Edward's holding him back. And of course, Edward throwing her across the room into the stack of plates didn't help the situation because now she's fallen onto the jagged shards of glass. And I guess more blood's coming from her cut wrist. So Edward really screwed the pooch on that one. And so did Alice for setting out eight fucking plates for only one person eating. And dazed and disoriented, she looks up from the bright red blood pulsing out of her arm into the fevered eyes of the six suddenly ravenous vampires. And that's the end of the chapter. So it's not just Jasper who's losing his mind. There's the six suddenly ravenous vampires. Okay, lots to dissect. We're led to believe that she gets a tiny, teeny, tiny little paper cut, one little drop of blood, and Jasper loses his fucking mind. Okay, first hurdle, Alice didn't see this coming. She didn't see that coming. I guess because the decision wasn't made to have a paper cut, but when she was setting out the plates, she didn't go, hmm, that's gonna, that's gonna end poorly for Bella's wrist. All these crystal plates that I'm stacking on the piano. She didn't get a vision then. She can predict trends in the stock market. Apple shares, she's all over it. But a stack of plates cutting up a human bitch's arm? <laughs> didn't see that coming. So that's the first thing. But also, this isn't the first time Jasper's been around blood. That whole fight scene in the ballet studio, she was bleeding up a storm and Jasper was just off fighting James. Didn't care about that. And like, Jasper went to school. Are you telling me? In all the years that he's been going to Forks High and every other random high school, no one's gotten a nosebleed. No one's fallen over and scraped their knee. No one else has gotten a paper cut. Like... Okay, a, a, a teeny tiny little drop of blood this one time. Lost his freaking mind. And he was already described as standing apart from her, like guarded. So you can't say, oh, it was such a surprise. He was intentionally blocking off his instincts, standing apart from Bella, concentrating on not eating her. Oh, but this little paper cut, it's just so silly. Bitch was in a car accident last book and no one batted an eyelid. But now a teeny tiny little paper cut and game over. Jasper's losing it. And all six of them are suddenly ravenous. Suddenly ravenous. Well, they're not going to eat the cake. That's for sure. Oh boy. What a chapter. How are you guys feeling about being back in Twilight Saga territory? Send me an email to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or a tweet to at podbreakingdown. You can also hit me up on Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. Or visit breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the links and contact information. Over on the Patreon, we've just dropped the first chapter analysis of 365 days. And who believe it's a doozy? <laughs> it is a doozy. Twilight's better written. That's all I'll say at this stage. But it is a doozy. So if you'd like to gain access to those bonus episodes, just go to patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. And I'll see you next week for chapter two of New Moon. 
where hopefully we'll pick up with the six ravenous vampires tearing Bella to shreds. <laughs> See you then. This episode of Breaking Down Bad Books is brought to you by Booktopia. Booktopia are offering Breaking Down Bad Books listeners exclusive offers on my website, breakingdownbadbooks.com slash promotions. We have 28% off of the Hamilton The Revolution book. Now, like, Hamilton's kind of a big deal. It's kind of my favorite thing in the world. So this book is like the behind the scenes to Hamilton and how it was put on, what it's all about. It's got photocopies of Lin-Manuel Miranda's notebooks and emails and just like lots of photos from the original production and when it was getting workshop and staged. It's, it's really cool. So that was $75 in hardcover. But if you go to Booktopia using my link, you get it down to $53.90 and that's a bargain. There's also 30% off the new book by Leanne Moriarty, who wrote Big Little Lies and Nine Perfect Strangers. Her book, Apples Never Fall, is coming out on the 14th of September. And you can pre-order that on Booktopia using my link for just $22.95, rather than the $32.99 that it would be without my link. So, I mean, her stuff's all right. I've read a couple. I've watched Big Little Lies. Loved Reese Witherspoon. (laughs) Loved our girl, Nicole. So I think let's let's give it a read because it's probably going to be a TV show soon enough. So head on down to breakingdownbadbooks.com slash promotions to check out those links and read something good for a change. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.